You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield. We are minus GT247 founder, Brooks Hansen, this week. He's uh, taking, a, taking a week off from the podcast, so me and Kenny will be bringing you everything you need today, so don't worry. Uh, we'll try to we'll try to match Brooks's energy and emotion on this podcast. And Kenny, we're going to start with the basketball game. Memphis got a much needed win. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't perfect, but they got a one point win over South Florida on Tuesday night uh, to move to two and one in the conference after the very disappointing loss to Tulsa. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this game and what we can draw from it. And I'm going to preface all of this conversation with we've went on our tirades. We've if you've listened to the past two episodes, you know where we stand as far as our opinion on what needs to be fixed, where this team needs to go. So we're going to kind of take a step back from the yelling and throwing everything at you guys about what we believe needs to happen and and all the anger. And we're going to try to frame this as well as we can as far as the positives from that game, the negatives from that game, and then kind of t- kind of take a look at moving forward. So we're going to be a little more rational this week. We're not going to scream and yell and be angry. I do want to clarify one thing. I do want to clear. It's it's not anger on our part. Like we're not any of the 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 things that we've said over the last couple of weeks has not been about anger. It's been about seeing things that that you go the if these little things can be fixed. That's one of the things that I've said from the beginning this year is that none of the issues that the Tigers have have had this year are unfixable. They're all fixable. And so Anyway, Christian, I, I just wanted to interrupt you for a second and share that before we dive into the into the games. Yeah, completely agree. But we are going to be a little bit more dialed back this week. Um, we won't be as as hot and heavy on it. So, Kenny, starting off, that's what happens when you win. That's what happens yeah, when you exa- win. You dial it back a little exactly. bit. Exactly, winning cures all, even when it's ugly. But from that game, Kenny, we've talked about it um, behind the scenes a few times uh, with with Brooks and. I just want to know your thoughts from that game as far as what can be built off of? What can Penny Hardaway, the staff, and the players build off of from the win over South Florida? Well, I think the first first things first, um, you said it last week in the podcast um, that it looked like there was a group of guys out there on the floor against Tulsa that just really didn't care. And... And that was one of the glaring things that I saw too, and that's what concerned me. I even said it last week that it, even in the post game press conference, Penny was almost at a loss for how to motivate unmotivated people. That was absolutely not the case against uh, USF. Um, the team was absolutely fired up. They were. Um, especially in that second half. I think that last 15 minutes of the second half, it was a different team. You know, I don't know what happened in the locker room during halftime or 
I have a theory on what it was, but I'll, I don't want to go too long um, on this part. But um, the, that's the first first and foremost thing that I saw from the game is is it looked like everybody was bought in and that they were ready to go to war with each other. Yeah, I completely agree. And I don't think I, I don't think against Tulsa or Tulane, I don't think that with the way they were playing and what they were showing emotion wise. If they were down 12 like they were against USF, I don't think they would have come back in those other games. I don't think that they had it mentally in those games. But like you said, something switched. A, a flip, a switch flipped. And you saw that energy, that emotion. And the way I phrase it is they played inspired basketball down the stretch. In every single game, there's a point in time where everybody's holding on to a rope. And there's a point in time where you can either, when you start getting pulled and pulled and, and, and you start losing a little bit of ground, there's an opportunity to either tighten your hold onto that rope and pull back or to let go. Against, against Tulsa, they let go. If Tulane was a better team, they would have let go. Against USF, they did not let go. They dug their feet into the ground and pulled back. Yeah, and I think it's a realization of, and, and we and we say that this team is more experienced than they are. They, there are a lot of these freshmen played last year. They're more experienced, but they're still young guys. I mean, they're still 18, 19-year-old kids outside of guys like DeAndre Williams. And I think the realization is starting, hopefully, I don't want to say it's happening because it's only one game, very small sample size, but I think there may be a realization from these players now that, you're not going to come in and drub every team by 20, 30 points. It's, that's not basketball. I mean, that's why they play the game. Any team can win on any given night, and the American seems to be more like that than, than most other conferences. I mean, you look at Tulsa beating Houston the other night. Houston just got into the top five, and Tulsa comes out and, win that game, and wins that game because they wanted it more, and they had a great game plan. Absolutely. So, so I say all that to say – I think these guys are starting to realize that basketball in and in and of itself is a game of runs. It, it it is a game of momentum. As soon as momentum flips, you can have a 10-point swing one way, you bring a different lineup in, a guy hits a 3 and you can have a 10-point swing the other way. And I'm not saying that they don't understand basketball. Obviously they do. They're elite level, high-level Division 1 college basketball players. But you got to think these kids are used to murdering people. That's what you Everybody. that's what you do in high school. You murder Everybody. people. And so they are I think the battle testing from last year and early this year is starting to help them realize, okay, when we go down by 8, the game is not over. It's not it's over. Ne- it's not over when you go down. You just have to punch back. They are great at throwing the first punch. Past 2 years, they've been incredible at throwing that first punch. Even at the end of last, I know they started off slow a lot of games last year, but then they would throw that that early punch, and then you would kind of see it shift in the second half, and they would let it slip away. And then with two minutes left, when it was too late, they would start throwing punches again. And they did not do that against South Florida. They threw a punch dead in the middle of the second half and kept that momentum to win the game. So to me, that is a major positive because when you start to see realization of we're never out of the game. We can we can control what happens in this game as long as we play assignment based basketball. We stay on our assignments. We do the right things. We hit shots, which is still something they have to work on. That we can win games even when we're down. So I think that is to me one of the biggest things from this game. Uh, it's not that's not surface level. That's that's more of an in depth one. And and like I said, it's a small sample size of one game. 
But if they can pull that same energy and emotion when they start to feel a game slip away, then they're going to be fine. Because when you play inspired basketball, when you play highly emotional and you and you come out and you keep swinging, you keep swinging, eventually you're going to go on a run of your own, and that's what they did against South Florida. So I said it just a few minutes ago that there was one specific thing in the second half that happened that I thought was was when you saw the Tigers dig deep and start punching and never stop punching back. It was um, it was Alex Lomax. Um, we have ripped and shredded Alex to death this year, and and listen, every bit of it was warranted. Um, everything that we have said about Alex has not been has been true, um, and and everything that we have observed about his game does not get nullified because of one good half. Um, but it would be disingenuous of us to sit to come into this podcast today and and not say Alex was the reason that they won that game yesterday, or yesterday two days ago. He's the reason they won. Um, Alex is, and it, and and here's the thing: his stat line is not incredible. What was it, Christian? Do you think that caused them? I mean, what what is it about Alex's game the other day that that caused the Tigers to win that game? Well, it's it's what he's known for. It's that it's that. It, I mean, and it sounds so cliche, and I even hate saying it now because I feel like we've said it so much. But it's the right. Memphis in him. It's right. that grind in him to never give up. He is one. He's the guy. Him and DeAndre Williams are those guys that when you're down and out, the team is going to look to those guys because they're battle tested. They've been there. They they know what it takes to win those games to come from behind. And that's exactly what he did. He's like, I, I'm sure he went up to Penny and was like, let me go. let Just let me get in the game. Let me make an impact. And he finally did. And I am very happy to see him come out of that. Absolutely. Because you, because you could tell that he was not in a great place. Because he, he's never been a player to force things, to make a ton of mistakes. He always is pretty clean. He always plays pretty clean games. And that was not him in seven games this year. Played good against St. Mary's, missed the game against Tulsa. But the seven games in between that, he was not good at all. He was pressing, making mistakes, no confidence. And something over the past, you know, eight days before the eight days in between the Tulsa and South Florida game, something something changed in him and he realized, okay, I'm still the same player that I've been for the past three years. I'm still the same guy. I, and he just I, I feel like that's a that's an internal thing. He had to pull something out of himself. I don't think that that there's anything the coaching staff could have done. I think that was something that he had to do internally to say, I'm still this guy. I can still make an impact on this team. I can still help this team win games. And that's exactly what he did. Without Alex Lomax, they don't win that game. Absolutely. Because he not. he completely flipped that game when he started forcing turnovers. Yeah, I mean, he played like a man possessed on the defensive end of the floor. Let's be honest. He was everywhere. Everywhere. Anytime a ball was on the floor, it didn't matter if he was on the backside of the play. He was on the ground going for the ball. And that causes other players to step their game up. There's nothing like matching someone else's energy level in sports. It, it, you just can't really describe that feeling. When someone right. else is hitting on that high of a cylinder, you have to match them. If you're on their team and on the floor with them, you have to match that energy. And that's what the team did. Uh, and Alex Lomax was responsible for that. So here's the thing that, that, cr- that creates, a, like, that, that makes a difference with guys that are special elite talent and then guys who are 
probably going to maximize their career in basketball in the college level is in the college game, you have guys like that. And we've said this from the beginning this entire year that, and I think privately I've said to you, Christian, it, it seems to me that Alex is the heart and soul of the Tiger team. Um, you see pictures off the, off the court. Um, Alex is with everybody. People are drawn and gravitate towards him. And, and, and I think that, that that shows you the leadership, the, the role that he plays on the team. Um, is Alex going to ever be the best player skill-wise, talent-wise on the Tiger team? No, um, he won't be. But when you have a special elite talent, it's somebody who not only can be the best in terms of the skill set, but also lift and inspire. Alex is go- Alex is the guy on that team that lifts and inspires. He's the guy that gal- galvanizes. Um, if you saw, there was one play I saw. I think it was Lester's and one. Um, I think DeAndre was on a fast break with Lester. Lester's coming down the left side of the the lane. DeAndre passes the ball to him. He goes up, gets crushed in the air, makes the layup, falls on the ground. What's the first thing you see is Alex running down the court. And he, I mean, people are, you know, get uh, Lester gets up and he's all, you know, flexing and strumming and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you see Alex just gather everybody up and say, right here, right now. Let's go. And I, you can read his lips. That's what he says. Right here, right now, let's go. And it, it there's a level of, 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 you know, that intensity, but also keeping people focused, keeping the players focused on what's at hand and that the game's not over, that we got to keep fighting. Um, and yesterday he, I mean, why do I keep saying yesterday? The other day he did that. The, at the, <laughs> during the game, he did that. And so um, – the turning point for me in the game for the Tigers was definitely um, the and one with Alex when he got crushed going to the basket. I mean, he went up hard, got knocked down, and still made the basket. That was that to me felt like that was that one body shot blow that was kind of the the shifter for the entire game. Yeah, Kenny, and let's hit it on a couple more positives, and then we'll get into some some things that need to be fixed. All things considered, the offense was not great. It was not great. They scored 58 points, which is is not great. Um, but did they look better at times? Yeah, I think they absolutely did. Yes. Um, in the half court, is it still rough? Yes, it's still rough. But, I mean, the installation of an offense, only having a week to be prepared to run a new offense. Lester said it after the game in the press conference that as the starting point guard now, he took a lot of responsibility on sitting down with Penny and uh, learning exactly what he wanted him to do and then learning the other five positions, which is obviously what a point guard has to do. Um, So it's going to take time. So I I don't even want to really get into this offense yet. It was ugly at times. They made good plays at times. Let's get more of a sample size. Let's get more of an idea before we can come back and rationally talk about expectations for this offense. Because as of right now, we have no idea. Let's be honest. One game with a week of installing an offense is not going to give us an idea. So we don't, I mean, this thing could go downhill for the next three games and look terrible, or it could continue to get better. So I don't even want to get into specifics on the offense. We'll we'll give it a couple more games before we really go in depth on it. Can I go one specific though, real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Real quick. I, I, I don't want to, bump up against what you're trying to do here but um there's there's two different <laughs> the ultimate goal in, in an offense is to get the ball in the basket um clearly the tigers struggle with that 
Um, they miss a lot of wide open threes, a lot of wide open mid range, and a lot of <laughs> wide open layups. It's a recipe for disaster on on an offensive. If you can't score at any of the three levels, no matter what offense you run, it's going to be rough. Imagine the most revolutionary offense in the NBA over the last four years has been the Golden State Warrior offense. Um, they're running the same offense, but this year they have Kelly Oubre playing the same role that Clay Thompson played over the last four years. Is the offense bad, or is Kelly Oubre not Clay Thompson? Like exactly. And, and so, what I saw in in the game, and I even mentioned this to you in a text message thread during the game. I love the actions that I'm seeing. I love some of the movement. I love the 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 positions that it's get that the that the ball is finding the players that the offense is putting the players in. Now the next step is just making buckets. That's yeah. I, that's what I, I mean. Saying. I mean, I I completely agree with that, uh, and that's been a problem all year hitting shots. I think eventually there's going there has to be a game where they're on, and it could they're be score a hundred. It could be Temple on Saturday because exactly. Temple's not great this year. So they could they could get into a shooting rhythm. And as you know, Kenny, in basketball and sports in general, it takes one hot game to flip confidence over. So I agree with that. They have to start hitting shots if everything's going to actually look good, and we'll see if that comes eventually. The other two things I want to talk about real quick, let's try to knock these out real quick is the play of Lester Quinones and DeAndre Williams. Lester, over the past five or six games, has been a revelation. He's been really good on both ends of the floor. I love that Penny moved him to the starting point guard. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to stand up and say I was saying that Lester should be the starting point guard I, at all. I, I was not. I didn't think that was a move they were going to make. Um, but Penny, I think Penny made a very good move right there because Lester understands. Lester's unselfish. Lester plays hard on both ends of the floor. And in the two games he started, they haven't looked great on offense, but you can see the potential of where this team can go with him running the floor because he has such a command of the floor and does so many good things. So his two threes in the second half were massive. Massive. Uh, his and one in the second half was ma- – I mean, he was huge in that in that comeback in the second half. Um, and it's good to see that his shots are finally starting to fall. That's one player that's starting to hit shots. And then DeAndre, uh, you, we talked about Alex being the heartbeat of this team. I think DeAndre Williams might be 1B to Alex's 1A of the heartbeat right. because right. he is clearly a leader on this team. Guys respond to him. He gives nonstop effort on both ends of the floor. He's going to impact the game. Five steals for a 6'10 center slash power forward. I mean, he's playing the five a lot, so that you can call him a four or five. Uh, to have five steals in a game, four of them in the second half is is pretty crazy. Uh, to go along with what he does on the defensive end of the floor and down low, uh, what he's been able to bring to the team over the past three games is massive. So those two guys are almost, in, in this game specifically, were just as important to the comeback as Alex Lomax because they did make such a big impact in the second half. And you have to have that. You have to. Ha- it's not just one guy. We know Alex Lomax isn't a great scorer. So if you don't have guys around him that are scoring the ball when he's forcing turnovers and making defensive plays, then the comeback doesn't happen. So uh, those three guys were obviously the standouts. They won the game for Memphis. Without those three guys, there's no way they win that game. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love your your uh, take on Lester being moved over to the point, point guard role. Um, 
you know, our theory on Lester for the last two years is that he is the a knockdown shooter. And I think we need to reconsider that. I don't think he's a knockdown shooter. I think he's a facilitator that has to be in the flow of the game. Um, good ball movement, finding him in the corners, find, letting, letting him bring the ball up the court, moving the ball around, getting to his positions. Um, and, and, and what I've seen with Lester is there's a level of confidence that he has when the ball is in his hands. Is he the most dynamic, offensively talented player on the team? No. But if the ball is in his hands, good things are going to happen. There's certain players like that on every team, right, where when the ball's in their hands, good things tend to happen for the team. And, and it, was a, it was a genius move by, by Penny to put the ball in Lester's hands um, because good things are going to happen. You know, he's going to get into the flow of the game, and you saw it in, in, the, um, in the second half of, the, of the, the USF game. He hit two threes that were just monstrous for the team. It was a uh, – you, you saw, like you said earlier, kind of a game of runs. You saw USF make a couple of baskets, a couple of rebounds, and then all of a sudden Lester came down. I think it might have been two out of three or two out of four possessions, knocked down a corner three, and um, it was massive for the team. But I, I uh, DeAndre, yes, I'm going to let your opinion on DeAndre stand alone because it's it's 100% spot on. But I I wanted to reiterate, Lester has been a revelation at the point guard role for the Tigers this year. So let's talk about some things where this team can improve on what they what they can do to get better. And to me, there are two guys that that have to step up. And we've we've went on different guys all year that have to stand up. Uh, Lester was one of those guys that we talked about early in the season, and and here we are talking about him now and what he's done recently. Alex is another guy that we've said has to bring something, and he finally brought something in the South Florida game. The past couple games, Landers Nolly and DJ Jeffries have been very, very quiet. And that's not to say that they have not impacted the game because DJ Jeffries gets the game one and block. Although I give a lot of credit to Alex Lomax for getting Alex over Alex Lomax to, got that block. Yeah, Alex Alex Lomax got to Caleb Murphy and made that play, and DJ came in and made the block. No, Alex actually blocked the ball. I've, I'm telling you, I have the highlights in front of me right now. Very close. Alex blocked that ball. Okay. All right. Anyway, DJ still finds a way to impact the game. He's very active on the glass. He does different things. But he's not here to make an impact on the boards alone. He has to be a scorer. Landers Nolly has to be a scorer. Both of them have done it in spurts. Landers has had full games where he's where he's scored very well. I think he's had two 25-point games and a 23-point game, but that seems like very distant past at this point because the past few games he has not made as much of an impact offensively. He came out, hit a three, made another bucket, and then was quiet the rest of the game, finished with 10 points after having five in the first minute and a half which is what DJ Jeffries has done in the past four or five games, come out hot and then not really done much offensively. So they still have to find a way. And I think I think a lot of that, and not to excuse them because they haven't been great, but I think a lot of that is these two guys are trying to find their way in five different offenses. When you run so many different offenses and you're expecting guys like DJ Jeffries and Landers Nollies to be scorers, they have to know what they're doing on a night. You have to do the same thing. It's rep- it's repetition. You have to keep doing the same thing to get comfortable to hit shots. And they haven't had that yet. So Penny said they're sticking with the offense. I'm glad they are. They have to stick with something. Yes. They have to they have to 
stay consistent with a certain offense. So stick with it. Let those guys get comfortable. But they have to hit shots and they have to impact the game. Uh, to me, it looks like Landers Nolly isn't interested the whole game. It's like he doesn't stay locked in the whole game. Uh, once he starts making turnovers, once he starts making mistakes, he kind of pulls back. And as a scorer, you have to keep pushing. I mean, you know that. In basketball, as a scorer, if it's not your night or if you're not hitting shots, you still have to keep pushing. As long as they're good shots and you're not just throwing up stupid, selfish shots, you have to keep pushing because you have the talent to hit those shots and other guys around you don't necessarily have that same offensive talent. And DJ is the same way. DJ gets a little gun shy sometimes. I think he's been a little too unselfish this year, which you love to see unselfishness from a player. I love to see a guy want to get his teammates involved. But at the end of the day, DJ Jeffries is the most, like, ta- scoring-wise, he's the most talented scorer on this team. He can score from all three levels. But he hasn't shown that this year. He showed it last year in spurts. He was incredible scoring at all three levels. He has to take some responsibility on himself to say, I can be unselfish, but I can also make some of these plays on my own. And we've seen it at times. There's been times, there's been small spurts where he's taken over and and taken those shots and put them in the basket, and then he pulls off. So if this offense is going to come around, if they're going to put up 70 points a night, 75 points a night, those two guys have to be better. So I'm looking at the box score from this game, and, you know, with – Obviously, you're a thousand percent right with the Landers Nolly take. Uh, it, it's you know he shot the ball eight times, four for eight, two for four, three pointers. He had um, two steals, three assists, two rebounds. I mean, he was uh, decently well. Ten points. You need Landers Nolly to score more than ten points in a game, first and foremost. There's three guys that I'm looking at right now that their stat line is just stunning to me: um, DJ, uh, Damian, and Boogie. Um, between the three of those guys, they shot 14 shots and made four. Um, actually 12 shots and made four. That's 33% between DJ Jeffries, Boogie Ellis, and Damian Ball. Zero three-pointers. I mean, just these three guys are supposed to be, from your 2019 class, supposed to be the mainstays on your team, and I don't know what is going on. You know, DJ's obviously getting some minutes. I don't know what is going on with Boogie and Damian. I don't know. This whole year has been rough on them. I think Boogie had one good game against St. Mary's. And since then, it's been downhill. And so, yeah, um, you know, Penny talked about it specifically in the post-game press conference. You know, he didn't mention names. I, you, you don't do that, you know publicly like that but I mean he was very blunt about you know specific players that clearly when they come into the game things change for the team and in not a good way and so um, he seemed to be more um, I guess very upfront about the guys that are going to get minutes moving forward you know I, I do agree with you about DJ it is hard especially when the ball's in your hands quite a bit to navigate through five different offenses throughout a, you know, <laughs> a non-game stretch. But um, I have not seen much from DJ this year, and that's been very strange to me. I don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, I agree, but I do have one more positive, and you reminded me of it. Penny finally shortened the rotation. 
He Man. finally said, whoever wants to be out here and whoever wants to win a basketball game, play. And that's what you have to do. You have to have the guys out there that want to win basketball games. I asked him about it. I think it was after the Tulane game. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But I asked him if shortening the rotations was a possibility because it's clear which guys come in and the momentum dies. It's very obvious to anyone watching. Absolutely. So I asked him, is shortening, is shortening the rotation a possibility? And he said, yeah. I mean, if, if it continues like this, that's something that we'll have to do. And I was like, all right, we'll see. And then in the South Florida game, some of those guys come in, you go down by 12, and he puts, he said seven guys. And I think you everyone knows who the seven guys are that make an impact. Those seven guys played pretty much the rest of the 10, 12 minutes of the game. I think that is a major positive. If guys are not impacting the game and they don't seem interested, then they don't need to play substantial minutes. They come in, they get three or four minutes, give a guy a breather, and he gets back in. So I think that's a major positive that Penny's willing to say, okay, we can't. I want to go nine or ten deep. I want to be a nine or ten deep team, but we're not. We have seven guys that are going to make an impact, so we play those guys. I think that's a major positive. Yeah, I think I think it was during the um, during that run when Alex was having such a good second half. I think I texted you and was like, these five guys need to stay on the floor the rest of the game. And I think he switched out Alex for Jaden one time for about a three-minute stretch, four-minute stretch in that second half, brought Alex back in the game and stuck with the rest of those five guys. It was Alex, um, Alex, DJ, Landers, Lester. No, no, no. DJ wasn't a part of that, was he? It was DeAndre, Musa, Lester, Alex, and kind of a mix between DJ and Landers, one of those two guys. And um, they absolutely I – was, I was extremely happy to see Penny – shorten the rotation in the second half that was it, it was it was it's not a good look when you bring in a group of players that are supposed to be your offensive threats and they end up the team ends up going down by 14 12 to 14 points in a matter of two minutes it's it's not not good at all so I'm glad you're you're right I'm glad he's shorting the rotations absolutely Kenny well let's take a quick break here from some sponsors and we're going to get back on the other side put a bow on the 2021 2020 2021 football season put a bow on this podcast and get out of here Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, hey, okay. Okay, okay, okay. 
Welcome back, and as I mentioned, we are going to get into a quick football discussion. Don't want, we already 30 minutes on this podcast, shockingly. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on football. The season is over. Uh, the year is over. So, Kenny, I know you're going to ask me a lot of questions because you love to ask me football questions, but I do want to ask you as a whole how do you view this season? Was this a successful year, basically? Yes, it was absolutely a successful year. I mean, at the beginning of the year, Christian, we were just praying that we would have a season. And the Tigers got 11 games in. With a four-week COVID hiatus, they still got 11 games. It was absolutely a success. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, everyone knows my feelings on this season. I've made it public plenty of times. Uh, to go eight and three in this kind of year, um, and it, it's we've said it over and over again, but it still remains so important. You lost your best two offensive players. Brady White is your quarterback. He's your leader. But as far as your two most skilled NFL-level players, DeMonte Coxie and Kenny Gainwell, you lost both of those guys. One guy before the year started and one guy two games in, and you still finish 8-3. and three. I've said it at least 10 times. I think if if you don't have that COVID, everything they had with COVID going on, I think you beat SMU. I think you finished the season 9-2. and two. And that, like I said, who knows? That's a lot of projection. That's a lot of just talking. But they lost on a last-second field goal after not playing or practicing for 28 days. So, I, I mean, you read between the lines there, and you, they were playing the only 4-0 team in the country at that point. SMU had played the most right. games in the country at that point, and, and Memphis had played one game. Yeah, one game. They had played uh, Arkansas State. In the first so, game of the year. Yep. Yeah, and then you take four weeks off. So, I, I think overall, extremely successful season. I don't think you could have asked for it to go any better. Um, I know it wasn't it wasn't pretty at all time. It wasn't they weren't blowing teams out every week like we've seen this team do in the past. But they found ways to win games. They beat UCF in an incredible comeback. I think it was one of the best college football games of the season. A very exciting, very exhilarating game. Uh, they go in and they beat Navy on the road in a absolute snooze fest defensive game that no one expected. Um, and then you win a bowl game, albeit against a pretty bad FAU team in an ugly went in an ugly win in an ugly game but you won a bowl game for the first time since 2014 FAU was better than what you gave them credit for though you were talking trash before they were better they were garbage like Tronti Tronti's not bad he he's thrown for he threw for 100 yards like twice this year he's trash like FAU was bad they were a very poorly coached team. I, I don't have much for Willie Taggart. I don't think he's a very good coach. They were a poorly coached team. Uh, they had some very aggressive guys on defense that came up and hit. I mean, that's about as much as I can say positively about FAU. They're not a very good team. Um, but regardless, it's a, a bowl win is a bowl win. In 10 years, nobody will remember how shitty FAU was, and they'll say Memphis got that bowl win after not having one for, for six years, and they went 0-5 in that stretch. So, a bowl win is a bowl win. Eight and three is eight and three. The accomplishments that this team had are set in stone and it's over with. And there's nothing you can say about it. There's nothing you can take away from this team. Um, they overcame a lot of adversity. I would argue they overcame a lot more adversity than most schools. Uh, I know everyone had to deal with COVID. I'm not saying that for the thousandth time. I know everyone had to deal with that. 
it's just the fact that not every team in the country had a first-year head coach and um, a completely new defensive staff and a completely new defensive system and uh, a bunch of unheralded, unproven wide receivers that no one had ever seen before for the most part. Nobody had – I mean, there are I mean, there, there are definitely teams that had obstacles. There are teams that had more obstacles than Memphis, I'm sure. But I would say Memphis is probably in the, the, the upper echelon of teams that had a lot of stuff to overcome this year, and they did so admirably. And that starts at the top with the coach. Without a coach to keep everything straight and to keep guys under control, this season could have went absolutely south so quickly. Uh, after, right. that, after that SMU loss, this season could have went south – Coaching staff did not allow that to happen, and you finished with an eight and three season and a bowl win. So I think it couldn't have went any better. I think it's an absolute success. I think if you're looking at it from in terms of what a team had to overcome, I think it's it's more impressive what they did this year than what they did last year. A lot of people are not going to agree with that because they won a conference championship and went to the Cotton Bowl. But as far as what they had to overcome and and the odds being stacked against them. Because this team wasn't nearly as talented as as last year's version, and they were still able to do what they did. So uh, I have nothing but praise for this team. They did an incredible job. They did things the right way, and they finished with another very successful season that ten years ago Memphis fans probably would have paid good money for. So uh, you know, Christian and I are both storytellers. That's one of the things that uh, you know why we both. I love working with Christian. I love working with Brooks because all three of us, we, we love to tell stories. We love to understand the nuances, the ups and the downs and the, you know, things like that. I know fans are black and white. They want to know how many wins are we going to get? How many losses are we going to have by the end of the year? Um, and yes, absolutely. Those things are extremely important. Um, but in terms of a storyline, in terms of the nuances of the game, of the season, the, the, the ups and the downs, I, I a thousand percent agree with you. I, I genuinely think that this season, in, in the long term, will be viewed as as much as successful as last year or maybe even more so because of all of the things that they had to go through, because of all of the, the things that were stacked against the team. Um, so Christian, a few minutes ago, you said, I'd like to ask you questions. I'd love to ask you questions about football. So here we go. Um, and, and for everybody that's listening, this is not planned. I have not, Christian, I didn't talk about doing this before, but I'm going to have him do it. Um, I want you to give me some grades for this year. Um, grade out Ryan Silverfield. I think you. I mean, I think you have to give Ryan Silverfield an A for this year. Uh, I, I don't think there's any way around that one. Everything was stacked against him as a first-year head coach in in this type of season and losing the players that he lost. And I mean, a team plays for each other, their teammates, and a coach. And they clearly wanted to play for for Ryan Silverfield. The way that they battled in every game. Um, even like I've, I mentioned SMU a couple times, but that's a game that they were down by three scores in that game, and they came back and and had a chance to win it um, before the fumble and then the field goal by SMU. So even the games where it looked bleak, the UCF game where they were getting smacked early in the third quarter, and they come back and win that game, that tells you all you need to know about these players and how they feel about Ryan Silverfield and his coaching staff. So I I got to give him an A for what for what they were able to accomplish this year. All right, great out, 
um, Kevin Johns in the offense? That one's a little more tough. I would go probably like a B minus, and some people will probably say that's generous, but when you look at the stats, I mean, they're still a top 25, top 30 offense, somewhere in that in that range. So they still had a lot of success. It just didn't look the same. Um, so I almost want to give Kevin Johns an incomplete grade because I don't think he was able to unleash his full arsenal. Hopefully, hopefully. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I hope that that was not all he has as a play caller. I think he had to pull back the rein some with a lot of younger guys with an offensive line that underperformed for most of the year without a real star running back. I don't think there's a running back on this roster that's a true star. I think they have a lot of solid running backs, but they don't have a – they obviously don't have like a Daryl Henderson or a Kenny Gainwell or a Tony Pollard. So there's no star running back, a lot of solid guys. So personnel-wise, he was limited, uh, in, in my opinion. It was really Brady White and Calvin Austin and Taj Washington in some games because Taj Washington did disappear for a stretch of games. So – I think he was limited as a play caller due to personnel, so I'll give him a, a low B, almost at C plus range. And I, but I think I think that will obviously improve moving forward. I like the incomplete grade because it's it's it, when you lose your two best offensive players in the middle of the season. Obviously, Kenny left before, but man, like how do you you, you have to you have to give him an incomplete in terms of that kind of stuff? Um, okay, grade out Mike Mack in the defense. Okay, first half of the season, D plus. Second half of the season, I'll go with like a B, a B, strong B, maybe B plus. I don't know what that averages out to. Someone else can can do that for me. I guess that's probably like a C plus. I'm gonna say that's a C plus ish. Um, C plus ish. Yeah, C plus ish with the potential for a B minus. We'll go there. Um, they were bad at the beginning of the year. I'm not going to try to defend the defense at all. Uh, they were they were terrible. The secondary was horrible. I mean, they got shredded by Arkansas State, SMU, UCF. I mean, you go down the line, those first few games, they got mauled. Every week they were getting mauled. But towards the end of the year, really starting with that, you know. That I Navy mean, game. That Navy game. The Navy game really showed a different team. Um, I know Houston ended up coming back, but. If you if you watched that game, if you paid attention to that game, they played such a good defensive game up until they were so dead because the offense was going three and out every time that uh, that Houston was able to go down the field. So, and then they were they were really good against Florida Atlantic. Also, uh, I mean, they, I think they were top three in the conference in forcing turnovers. Um, if you're not great personnel wise, and you're not, and you don't have guys that are just going to lock players down. Then you have to create turnovers, and they were able to do that. So, I mean, they even did that early in the year. They were making they were making big plays at times. It just they allowed so many yards and points that it didn't matter. Um, but the end of the year, I think, in in football with young players with a new coaching staff, the end of the season is all you really need to pay attention to. How did they progress? And they progressed by massive amounts when you look at that that defense in the beginning of the year compared to late in the year. So that should give a lot of fans optimism about what they can be next year if they continue to implement the system. Some of the guys that they're bringing in in this class uh, should should make people very excited. So 
I think I think you can't give a single grade for that. I think you got to split that up like I did, and then you got to say there's a lot of optimism for next year. Okay, um, real quick, special teams grade out. All right, this one's this one's a little more tough because the special teams was still very good. They just weren't as good as they have been in recent years. You didn't have the the kickoff returns. I think did they? I think they only had one return touchdown this year, and that was Calvin Austin's punt return against SFA. What is uh? The kid in the Arkansas State game, uh, Gabe, Gabe Rogers, Rogers, didn't he have one in that game, or was that did he? I, I think he. I think he was close. I, I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not a hundred percent on that. Um, I don't think he had one though. Um, so I'll go with like a B special team. They were still very good. Uh, Riley Patterson was pretty good. He uh, he missed more kicks than he did last year, but he was all things considered had another solid season. Uh, Adam Williams has taken a bit of a step back over yeah, the past two he years. Didn't have a great, great year this year. No, and he wasn't great last year either. He's taken a step back since his first year for sure. Um, your coverage, I mean, your coverage teams have been really your punt coverage team, your kick coverage team have been very good for the most part. Um, but the return game definitely wasn't as dynamic this year. Like I said, as far as I remember, one touch, one return touchdown, and it was against SFA Calvin Austin. Um, so I'll give it a – it was solid. It was a solid unit. It wasn't an elite unit like it has been in the past. I mean, last year they were the number one special teams group in the country in every metric. So uh, they definitely regressed a little bit, uh, which happens when you lose some of the guys that they lost. But uh, I think they were still a solid, solid unit. Okay. Um, MVP of the team this year. I mean, you have you have to give that to Brady White. Without Brady White, there's no telling where this team would have been. If Kenny Gainwell would have stayed, he probably would have been the MVP because even though the offensive line wasn't great, he probably still would have had an incredible year. But with the way that Brady played and everything that was on his show, I mean, everything went through Brady White this year. There was no, there was nothing to take the pressure off of him, other than Calvin Austin, which is still him having to throw the ball. So there was nothing to take the pressure off of him. So he is he, he is pretty easily the MVP of this team. So um I know your I know what you want your I know what your answer could be uh, on this one. Try to go from the obvious. Try to get away from the obvious. Breakout player of the year. Don't say Calvin Austin because that's obvious. Oh no, that's not even where I was going. Oh. Quind- Quindell Johnson 100%. Man, that's what I was going to I was hoping you were going to say Quindell. Absolutely. I I have I'm not a I'm not a chest thumper. I don't thump my chest very often. But I said before that man stepped on campus that he was going to be a great player at the University of Memphis, and he wasn't even highly recruited. I just watched his film and was like, this kid has it as a safety. And we've seen flashes. We saw a lot of flashes last year. He wasn't the starter, but when he would get in, he would always make plays. And he was one of my top breakouts to watch for this year. And he was one of the best defensive backs in the conference all season. Uh, Forced a turnover in the last three games, I believe. Navy, Houston, and uh, FAU had interceptions in three consecutive games. Was all over the place. Had a ridiculous amount of tackles for a safety. Um, just an all-around playmaker that is going to be even better next year. So that's, to me, the breakout player of the year uh, and could be a you know a first-team all-conference player next year and the best possi- – I mean, he possibly could be the best uh, DB in the conference next year. Are you as – does this year make you more excited? The The success of this year of Ryan Silverfield going into his second year as a head coach, you know, everybody coming back, the guys that are coming back, 
are you more excited about next year? We're going to get into next year in later podcasts, but just give your thoughts, kind of wrapping a bow on this season into next season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I said it a couple weeks ago. I think me and Jonah both said it that there's a there are a, a lot of reasons to be optimistic for next year. More than likely, you're going to have a spring practice. Hopefully, you're going to have a spring practice at this point. If you get that, that's massive for this team, especially with a new quarterback coming in. Uh, whether it's Grant Gannell, Peter Parrish, or Keelan Brown. Personally, I think everyone can tell my opinion on who I think is going to be the starting quarterback. I think that I think that's one of the biggest reasons to be optimistic. If you watch Grant Gannell highlights, a lot of reasons to be optimistic if he comes in and is the player that I think he's going to be. Um, and then some of these guys that we already know that are returning that have announced it. Sean Dykes coming back is, oh, I mean, massive, massive. massive. Because they don't have a tight end on this roster that has that receiving threat. I think Arrington McCray coming in can be, but do you really want to rely on a freshman as your best receiving option as a tight end? No. no. So that immediately gives Grant Gannell a safety blanket coming in and Sean Dykes. Or I, I just I just <laughs> I just said Grant Gannell is going to be the starting quarterback next year. It gives whoever your starting quarterback is going to be next year a safety blanket at the tight end position. Um, I'll be very interested to see who else decides to return i know some guys that are planning to return obviously out of respect not going to say anything but there are some good guys planning to come back um second year of the defensive system with a a great talent level of recruits uh your michigan state transfers so there are so many reasons to be optimistic for next year i think definitely um as long as they find their quarterback as long as one of these guys is the quarterback of the future then next season has the potential to be better than this year absolutely I think that's a good bow, man. I, th I think I think we put it on it. You got anything else, Kenny? I'm good. All right. Well, as always, head over to GoTigers247.com. For all your Memphis sports needs, we got you covered. Football, basketball, game previews, game recaps, you name it, we got it. Recruiting, list goes on and on. But with that being said, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.